This is Tailgate Till May, part of the Believe Podcast Network. If you love college sports and you like to have a little action on the games, then this is the place for you because I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I love both of those things too. I hope you all are doing well out there. Uh, I hope everybody's good. I hope everybody is not too sad, is not too broken up about the fact that there are no more full days of college football left in 2023. We've made it through the regular season. We've made it through championship weekend. We got some football still. We got Army-Navy this weekend. We got FCS quarterfinals. We got a full bowl season ahead. We got the playoffs, and that's all awesome. That's all great, but we don't have any full noon to midnight slates left and uh, there's nothing quite like it there's nothing quite like it in all of sports so I hope everybody is doing okay with that but not to fear we do have a huge weekend of college basketball ahead Uh, we're gonna have wall-to-wall college hoops action on Saturday a lot of really good non-conference matchups even some conference matchups out there and uh, that'll fill the void for us a little bit there i'm excited to get into hoop season i feel like my mind has finally really started to shift this week where it's like okay yeah i'm in both but now it's really time to to get into hoops the the mental shift has taken place in my mind and i'm ready to do it i'm ready for that so uh like sad that you know we don't have any more full slates of college football because there's nothing quite like it but i am very excited for everything that we do have ahead for the college hoop season for bowl season for the college ball playoff uh despite my objections about who got into the playoff uh like many i thought florida state should be in rather than alabama but we are going to have two great games and i'm very excited about all of that but where i want to start today is actually with some heisman trophy talk and it's look if you've been listening all year it's not a surprise to you it's not a secret i've been sharing it all year who i bet on for the heisman trophy and before the year i placed a bunch of bets mid-year i placed one bet that i was really riding that was really looking good for a while and uh i do i did bet on three of the four heisman finalists and uh, that award will be awarded on saturday night and the four finalists are michael Penix of washington the quarterback at washington bo nicks the quarterback at oregon Jaden daniels the quarterback at lsu and marvin harrison jr the wide receiver from ohio state So three quarterbacks and a wide receiver in that group. And the three players I bet on were Michael Penix, Bo Nix. Bo Nix was my midseason one. I got him at 30 to one right after right after Oregon lost to Washington. And that's one I thought was looking really good for the last, I don't know, five, six weeks. And then Marvin Harrison, I got also before the season at 30 to one. Penix, I got at 16 to one, by the way. So I had two 30 to one shots, a 16 to one shot. And then the fourth finalist is somebody I didn't bet on. And uh, I think he is going to be the guy who wins. I think Jaden Daniels is going to be the guy who wins. And uh, that's unfortunate for me because I would have loved to cash one of those tickets. But I do ultimately think he's going to be the guy who wins just because of the absurdity of the stats that he put up this year. 3,800 passing yards, 40 touchdowns to four picks. Uh, he, The big knock on him coming into the year was that he didn't throw the ball down the field. Well, you can't say that anymore because he led the nation in yards per attempt this year uh, by, by, I think it was a, a full yard 
honestly, it was a, it was a, a, he, he threw the ball down the field. Nobody can say he didn't. He did a great job of doing it. Uh, And then he was the true dual threat quarterback. He put up some huge rushing yards, rushed for over 1100 yards on the season, had a monster 200 plus rushing yard game against Florida. He did it all this year. He had unbelievable stats in an unbelievable offense and I think he will go out and win the award I think just putting up stats like that on a team like LSU in a conference like the SEC it's it's a good recipe for success even though LSU did suffer three losses and I I think he's gonna win I'm I'm fine with him winning I'm fine with that way of thinking but that's not exactly the way I I view the Heisman and I promise you I'm not sitting here trying to to make a case for somebody else because I want to win those bets as much as I would love to yeah I I, I'm kind of chalking them up as a loss right now to be honest actually I already had marked Marvin Harrison as a loss a while ago on anything that you see uh where if you if where I track my stuff in my in that Google sheet uh if you follow that or where I post my overall uh net units on Twitter I've already marked Marvin Harrison as a loss. I marked it as a loss a couple weeks ago. I mean, I, there's, he's not going to win. He's going to be fourth in that voting. I think the three quarterbacks will be the top three, and I think Jaden Daniels will win. And I think just looking at who was outstanding this year, who had great performances, I think that's certainly one way to look at it in a very fair way of looking at it. However, that's just not the way I tend to view the Heisman Trophy. I think the Heisman Trophy should tell a story. I think the Heisman Trophy should be something that is representative of this season in college football history. I think it should help tell the story of 2023. And a little test that I like to use to see, you know, who off the bat I think might be my Heisman favorite, might be my Heisman contender without looking at stats. And of course, that does come into play eventually. But this test that I like to use is I like to just close my eyes and think about the year and see what comes to my mind first. And for me, when I close my mind, when I think about this college football season, I think about Washington and Michael Penix. I think about Washington running the table and going undefeated. I think about Michael Penix in that game against Oregon, not the Pac-12 championship game, but that regular season game against Oregon when the two were both undefeated, big rivals meeting in Washington in this huge game, in this big-time atmosphere. Uh, They play a classic game. And Michael Penix comes up huge. And he's such a memorable player when you watch him play because he has such a big arm. He makes these big time throws. Uh, He's just a really fun guy to watch. When I close my eyes, when I think about this season, I think about him and I think about that game. And as good as Jaden Daniels was this year, I think the statistics are comparable enough that you can make the case for Penix based on who had a bigger impact on this season. Uh, Penix threw for more yards than Jay, than Jaden Daniels did, but on way more passing attempts. I already mentioned Jaden Daniels led the nation in uh, average yards per attempt, 
But Michael Penix was no sl- was no slouch in that regard either. He threw the ball down the field. Uh, I think he was top in the top twenty in the country in yards per attempt at nine point one yards per attempt. Jaden Daniels was eleven point seven yards per attempt. Uh, Penix threw for thirty three touchdowns to Jaden Daniels forty. Uh, he did throw more picks, but I think the numbers are close enough between the two of them. Daniels clearly better. Daniels clearly had better numbers, but I think they are close enough that when you look at, at this award from that perspective of does the winner tell the story of the season? Uh, when you close your eyes and you think about the season, do you think about that winner? Do you think about their team? In five years, when you think back to this season, who are you going to be talking about? I think that's much more Michael Penix in this scenario than it is Jaden Daniels. Yes, certainly LSU fans will be talking about Jaden Daniels, this Jaden Daniels season, but they also lost three games. And I'm not saying it needs to be a team award, but it kind of is if you think about it in the context of are you going to remember this player? Are you going to remember this performance? Are you going to remember this year for that person? And I think it's unfortunate for Daniels that he got hurt in that Alabama game because that might have been the game where, you know, you felt like you really needed to turn on the TV and watch what was going on with LSU. Unfortunately, I don't feel like I felt that a ton this season. The one game where you're like, I got to watch this was the Ole Miss game, that 55-49 shootout that they lost. So I just, I don't feel like for your average college football fan, for your neutral college football fan, who's not an LSU fan, that in five years and in 10 years, you will look at back at this season and say, oh yeah, that was the Jaden Daniels year. Remember that game where he did this? Remember that game where everybody was watching and he did that? I don't think you have that with Jaden Daniels, but I do think you have that with Michael Penix and that Washington game and Washington going undefeated. So I guess I I will, I will walk that back and I will say, I do think to some extent it is a team award because this is a team sport. We really more remember... We remember players, certainly, but we remember them in the context of what they did for their team. And no, it's not Jaden Daniels' fault that LSU's defense was not very good and that they had to play these shootouts every week and that they lost three games. But I have a hard time awarding the Heisman Trophy to somebody where I don't think I'll look back in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years and say, oh, you should have seen that time when this player did this in this big-time game. And and I guess that's where that idea of the Heisman moment comes from. And I don't... And to me, it's because this award is part of telling the story of college football history. I know not everybody views it that way, but that's kind of how I view the Heisman Trophy, and that's why I think Michael Penix, uh, I would vote for Michael Penix if I was voting for the award. Now, there's no denying Daniel's statistical accomplishments this year, but I would also make the argument that if you were going to just base this award on who had impressive stat- uh, an impressive statistical season, 
then Ollie Gordon, the sophomore running back from Oklahoma State, should be right up there in that conversation. Through the first couple weeks of the season, Ollie Gordon did basically nothing. And then Oklahoma State shifted its offense and decided, we're going to give this guy the ball. And he performed. He performed like crazy. Starting in late September, September 23rd, against Iowa State, he went for 121 yards, 136, 168, 282, 271, 138. He was putting up massive rushing performances every week. He led the nation in rushing after basically doing nothing. Uh, he, he combined for just over 100 yards over the first three weeks of the season. And he went out and he led the nation in rushing. And Oklahoma State, as a team, had the same year as LSU. They went 9-3 and three in the regular season. They lost the Big 12 championship game to Texas to give them their fourth loss. And LSU didn't play in a, in a conference title game, so they didn't even have the opportunity for that fourth loss. To me, those seasons, from a team perspective, are very, very similar. So I would just question, if you are going to, if you're going to talk about this award as just the best, most outstanding uh, individual achievement award, then why isn't Ollie Gordon in this conversation? If Ollie Gordon played in the SEC, would he be in the conversation? If Ollie Gordon was at LSU and Jaden Daniels was at Oklahoma State, would we still be having the same conversation the way we are? So I would just, I would ask you to consider that. I would also ask you to consider that if you feel like this is the, the way to do it, that it should just be outstanding individual achievement, then why in 2016, why in 2016 didn't Patrick Mahomes win the award? Patrick Mahomes, when he was at Texas Tech, had an unreal year in 2016. And, and the person who did win the award in 2016 was Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson had a year for the ages that season. But Patrick Mahomes threw for over 5,000 yards that year. Patrick Mahomes threw for 41 touchdowns, 10 picks, and over 5,000 yards. Now, Lamar Jackson, he had a he threw for 3500, he threw for 30 touchdowns. He of course is the ultimate dual threat guy doing it on the air and doing it on the ground as well. That Louisville team had three regular season losses that year as well. But you know what, when I think about that season, when I think about that Louisville season, or when I think about that 2016 season, I truly don't remember ever tuning in. I remember seeing, reading Patrick Mahomes' stats every week and being like, wow, that's impressive. Seeing highlights and being like, whoa, that was good. But I never remember having to tune in to watch Patrick Mahomes. I never remember having to do that. And with Lamar, I felt like you had to tune in and watch Lamar. I remember the Florida State game where they beat Florida State. He went for almost 150 on the ground. He had four rushing touchdowns in that game. 
that is part of the story of that 2016 college football season to me. That was a huge part of it, and I don't think you can tell the story of that season without talking about that game, without talking about Lamar Jackson. And as good as Patrick Mahomes' numbers were that year, it just wasn't the same. It just wasn't the same for Texas Tech and uh, Patrick Mahomes in that year, despite the fact that he threw for 5,000 yards. That Texas Tech team was a 5-7 and seven team. I get that's different than 9-3, and three, but it was a 5-7 and seven team. But if you're saying this award should just be about outstanding individual achievement, if this should just be about who can put up the biggest numbers, then I would question why Patrick Mahomes didn't get more consideration uh, for the Heisman Trophy in that season, in that 2016 season. I have to look. Let's look and see where did Patrick Mahomes end up in that 2016 voting. Uh, he didn't get a he, he didn't get a single Heisman vote. Patrick Mahomes that year did not get a single Heisman vote despite throwing for 5,000 yards. So to me, that's the perfect encapsulation of why, uh, of of exactly my theory, my way of thinking about the Heisman Trophy and why I wouldn't have voted for Mahomes that season and uh, why I wouldn't vote for Jaden Daniels this season, why I would vote for Michael Penix. Because I know when I look back in five years, when I look back in 10 years, I am going to have a vision. I'm going to remember that game against Oregon and Michael Penix sitting in the pocket and making big throws and making that throw to Romo Dunze in that game. So uh, there's a million different ways to approach it, but that's my approach to the Heisman Trophy voting. Uh, I think Jaden Daniels wins it. I'm writing my bets off as a loss, but uh, here's to hoping that some of the voters out there think about the Heisman Trophy a little bit more the way I do. Okay, let's move on to a little bit of basketball talk because the football regular season is done and basketball really is filling the void on this first Saturday uh, post-championship weekend. There's a number of huge matchups out there. There's rivalry games. You have Kansas and Missouri. You have BYU-Utah. You just have some good non-conference games between power opponents uh alabama takes on purdue tcu and clemson not traditional powers in the sport but two teams that are very likely tournament teams uh very strong teams this year clemson off to an eight and oh start this season illinois goes to Knoxville to take on Tennessee. Illinois looking like probably the second best team in the Big Ten so far after Purdue. They're off to a nice 7-1 start. Uh, They got a win over FAU. Their only losses to Marquette, a Marquette team that looks really good to start the year. And then Tennessee... Uh, Tennessee has taken some losses. They took some losses there in Maui, but this is a team that definitely looks like it can do some damage. They're sitting at five and three, but it's a misleading five and three. It's one of the best defensive teams in the country and uh, a a team I certainly wouldn't write off quite yet. So uh, it's a huge weekend in college hoops. And before I get into a couple picks that I have, I want to talk about some big picture things with what I've seen with this college hoop season so far. My big takeaway so far 
is there are two conferences that really stand out to me. And they are uh, there are two conferences that had a challenge against each other uh, over the course of the past week or so. It's the Big East and the Big 12. And the Big 12 won the, the Big East Big 12 battle. And I really come away thinking that these are the two most interesting conferences in college basketball and kind of for different reasons so the big 12 of course is in a transition phase right now where uh, this is oklahoma and texas's last season in the league and then you have houston byu cincinnati and UCF in their first year in the league. And those four teams on the football side, they they really struggled entering the Big 12. Well, so far in the college basketball season, that doesn't look to be the case. And look, Houston, from a basketball perspective, is far better than any of those football, far better positioned, I would say, than any of those football programs were entering the Big 12. Now, maybe Cincinnati had Luke Fickle stayed around um, and you had that continuity there after going to the college ball playoff. You could make the case that would be, be similar, but that's not what happened, right? Fickle left for Wisconsin. They had turnover, things changed, and they struggled this year. All four of those teams uh, really had their their struggles this year in the Big 12, UCF, the only one of them to make a bowl game. But on the basketball side, Houston is a team that's been a Final Four contender really year over year over year. Over the past three seasons, they finished top five in Ken Palm each of the last three years. Uh, They've gotten a one seed, a five seed, and a two seed over the past three years. They've gone to a Sweet 16, an Elite Eight, and a Final Four. This is a program that is really had the ability to compete at the top of the sport. So it's no surprise they come in and they're doing really well. And they're number one in Ken Palm right now, and they're undefeated and they haven't played the necessarily the toughest schedule yet, but Houston is doing what, Houston teams do under Kelvin Sampson. They play great defense. They rebound the ball well, and uh, they they look like your classic Houston team. So that's not a surprise. But what has been a little bit of a surprise is BYU comes in and BYU starts the season out eight and zero. Cincinnati starts the season out seven and zero. And, you know, one of my favorite things to do if you were with me last basketball season is I love this website, barttorvik.com. It's a great resource. It has all sorts of uh, good stats, predictive analytics. But one of my favorite things to do on that website is filter the time frame by different time frames. So I can look at the last month. Uh, you know, I could look at the last two weeks. I can do whatever. And I feel like sometimes that's more telling about what's going on in the sport than looking at it on a full year basis. And Bart, Torvik, like any predictive analytic, is going to have some preseason component baked in. So what I'm really liking to do right now is going on that website and filtering uh, with my start date of November 6th, the first day of the season. So I'm filtering out any of that preseason noise, anything that's not just what has happened on the court over the first eight or nine or so games of this season. And if you filter that way, what you see is Houston is the number one team in the country. BYU is the number two team in the country. Oklahoma is the number seven team in the country. Iowa State is the number nine team in the country. Baylor is the number 12 team in the country. And then Cincinnati 
the number 17 team in the country. Oh, no, yeah, you know which Big 12 team we haven't mentioned yet? The preseason number one, Kansas, is number 21 in the country when you filter that way in BartTorvik.com. So what is really catching my attention about the Big 12 right now is the way that Houston has come in, the way that BYU has come in, the way that Cincinnati has come in, and then the way that Oklahoma and Iowa State and Baylor, too, seems to have taken a step up. Baylor, Baylor last year, they had this three-headed monster at guard and it was like they can score with anybody but on the defensive end you never quite know what you're gonna get and now this year uh they have these two freshmen they have this freshman wing in jacoby walter and they have a freshman big man missy who they are great players so far they are huge parts of, of of this team so far and this team has also played a lot better defense to start the season now they're not in big big 12 play yet we got to see how it looks from there uh but when you go back to the the same ranking that i was just talking about when you filter it um on torvik.com they are the number two adjusted offense in the country when you go to Ken Palm, and you look at Ken Palm just from a full season perspective, uh, they are the number one offense in the country, and they are the number 45 defense in the country. Compare that to last year, they were the number two offense in the country and the number 107 defense in the country. So Baylor, they have come out on fire to start the year. They've gotten wins over Auburn, Florida, Seton Hall. They and they have two huge games coming up, not this weekend, but next weekend they play Michigan State. Then they play Duke right after that. So they're going to get some big tests. We're going to learn a lot more about them. We're going to learn about, you know, is the how 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 improved is this defense? But it's been a very impressive start for Baylor to start the year. And obviously Michigan State is going through some struggles of their own. Duke hasn't quite gotten off to the start that they've wanted either. They've already lost three times, including a game to Georgia Tech. Uh, But those are still going to be challenges for Baylor. And then you have Iowa State, where it was kind of the opposite deal, right? Iowa State has been known for defense. Iowa State will lock you down on defense. And it's been the offense where they have struggled. And this year, the Iowa State defense is doing exactly what it always does. It's number six in the country in Ken Palm. Uh, They just held Iowa to 65 points last night. But their offense looks a little bit better. Their offense looks like it maybe it's taken a step up. And they're shooting the ball. uh, They're shooting the ball pretty well. From three, you know, look, anytime you play Iowa, I got to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt because Iowa is not known for playing the world's best defense. But against Iowa, they shot 47% from three. They had a bunch of guys. They had four guys in double figures. Uh, Keyshawn Gilbert leading the way with 25 points. And then uh, their point guard, Lipsy, sophomore Lipsy, he uh he seems like he maybe has taken a step up this season and you know when you get improved point guard play that's something that can really 
drive your team. So his numbers are kind of up across the board. When you look at his offensive rating, it's up. You look at his assist rate is up. You look at the his turnover rate is down. Uh, so this is a, you look at his free throw rate is up. Uh, shooting the three better. So this is a team that looks like it's taking a step in the right direction. And I think all of these things, and then we haven't talked about Oklahoma that's off to a a great undefeated start. And, you know, they're going to play a a big game against Arkansas tomorrow, but they've gotten wins this year over Iowa, over USC, over Providence. And they didn't just beat Providence, they blew Providence out out and this is a team last year that didn't make the tournament so when you look at the start of the year for the big 12 this seems like a league that is as deep as ever if not deeper than ever because i didn't even mention the team in this league that is the national championship contender or one of the national championship contenders i think right now if i had to identify two i would say it's houston and kansas are the two national championship contenders in the league and some of these other teams have a chance to step up into that category they just have a little more to prove right now but i think you got those teams at the top and then you have this unbelievable depth where uh, just looking at ken palm right now let's see you got one two three four five teams in the top 20 and then another six we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine teams in the top 35 of Ken Palm. I mean, you could be looking at a 14-team league where you got 10 teams who have realistic hopes, a realistic shot of making the NCAA tournament, maybe even 11. Right now, the only teams that I would say are, are very, very unlikely to make the NCAA tournament are West Virginia, who has already is three and five has already taken a loss to Monmouth on the year. And then Oklahoma State has taken uh, a couple bad losses on the year already. A loss to Abilene Christian, a loss to Southern Illinois, a loss to Notre Dame, which is honestly just as bad as any, it looks like it's going to be just as bad as any of those losses. Uh, Notre Dame not looking very good in Micah Shrewsbury's first year at the helm in South Bend. So it's it's West Virginia and Oklahoma State, the two schools I would say seem very unlikely at this point to make the tournament, barring a major, major turnaround. And then UCF, uh, they, they got off to a decent start, but they, they lost to Stetson. That's a loss that's not going to help them come tournament time if they want to be an at-large bid. Uh, earn an at-large bid. Stetson number 247 in Ken Palm out of the A-Sun Conference. That is not a loss that is going to look great on an at-large tournament resume. But you know what? It's just one. They could get over that. So I'll even keep them very much in the mix there. You're looking at 12 of 14 teams that right now, 12 of 14 teams in the top 70 of Ken Palm, and 12 of 14 teams that I think are going to be competing for NCAA tournament spots throughout the year. So the Big 12 to me is the deepest conference in the country, and I don't think it's particularly close, and it's going to be so much fun to watch all year. Now, the other conference in that battle is the Big East, of the Big East Big 12 battle, and the Big 12 does win that conference-to-conference challenge, but Marquette, 
came away with a huge win in that challenge, uh, just beating up on Texas. A uh, bit of a revenge spot for Shaka Smart there, coaching against his own school. They beat Texas, his old school. They beat Texas 86 to 65. And Marquette and Tyler Kolick, they look really, really good to start the season. UConn looks fantastic to start the season at eight and one they lose to kansas but it's a four-point game on the road in the fog there's no shame in that then they go out and they beat north carolina four days later and cam spencer what an addition for them out of the transfer portal the transfer who went who started his career at loyola maryland then went to Rutgers and is now finishing up his career at uconn he has a great game against North Carolina the other night. He drops 23 in that win and uh, what was the player of the game for UConn there. So UConn looks very much like they are going to be in play to defend their national title. And I think you have UConn, you have Marquette that are true, true national title contenders. And then you have Creighton there as well. And Creighton, they start the season 7-1. They did take a loss to Colorado State. That was a a weird one because it was a, a blowout loss to Colorado State. But when you have... The guys that they have, and starting with Ryan Kalkbrenner, their big man, I think they are a very legitimate uh, threat to go to a Final Four to possibly win a national title as well. I mean, they were almost there last year. They lost to San Diego State in the Elite Eight, and they were a play away from going to the Final Four. So I leave this week thinking that the Big 12 is the deepest conference in America, the conference I'm most looking forward to probably watching on a night in and night out basis. And I also leave this week thinking that the Big East may have may be the strongest conference in the country at the very top with Connecticut, Marquette and Creighton, three teams that I think can all compete for a final four and compete to win a national title. And with the big East having the double round Robin, those games between those three schools home and away are all going to be appointment TV. They're going to be must watch television and I'm really excited for it. So those are kind of my big picture takeaways uh, from this early season of college basketball. I'm really looking forward to getting more in the nitty gritty and buckling down and watching some of these games. I, like I said, I feel like my my brain, the flip has switched in my brain now where I'm ready to really get into it. And it's like, okay, it feels like it's basketball season. You know, that, that in, I love the, in, the time period where we have both going on, but there's a lot going on in that time. And I feel like I'm ready to kind of make the switch now where it's going to feel like basketball season. Of course, I'm going to have a ton of attention on bowl games, on college ball playoff, but uh, the transition is being made to basketball mode. And I'm I'm excited to buckle down and, and start watching a lot more hoops. I do have a couple quick picks before I get out of here for Saturday. The two bets that I'm making for tomorrow are Villanova, uh, UCLA. So UCLA travels east to take on Villanova. Villanova has had a bizarre season so far. Villanova has looked pretty decent anytime they're not playing somebody in the big five, anytime they're not playing somebody from the city of Philadelphia, because they have lost the pen, they've lost the St. Joe's, and they've lost to Drexel. They've also beat Texas Tech, they've beaten North Carolina, they've beaten Memphis. So a very strange season so far for Villanova. But one thing that I, I 
taken from Villanova is Villanova is going to play slow. They are not a running gun basketball team. They're going to play slow. And they take on a UCLA team that wants to play that style too. UCLA, one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball. UCLA, always under Mick Cronin, a really good defensive team. Uh, and they replace so much from a year ago, uh, losing Jaime Jaquez, just a guy who, who who meant so much to that team, losing Tiger Campbell, that they're struggling a little bit on offense to start the season. So I like this one to be a low-scoring affair. I like it to be a slow-paced game. Give me under 128.5 in that game. The one thing to watch out for, Villanova has not defended the three very well, but UCLA hasn't shot it very well either. So, you know, that could be the one thing. If UCLA gets a little hot from three, if they find their rhythm there, that's something that could put it over, but it's a chance I'm willing to take given that UCLA has not shot the three very well this season. And uh, it's going to be a slow-paced game, and UCLA is is struggling a little bit on the offensive end. So give me under 128.5 there. And then the other bet I'm making is uh, I'm going to bet on the aforementioned BYU team that we talked about. They're playing a rivalry game. They're going on the road to Utah, but I'm going to lay the four and a half with the Cougars, with the undefeated Cougars, with Mark Pope's squad, because this BYU team has shot lights out from beyond the arc, shooting 39% on the year. They shoot it a ton from the outside. Almost 49% of their field goal attempts are three-point attempts, and Utah is a team that has not defended the three well at all. Opponents are shooting 36% from beyond the arc against them, and opponents are shooting it often from beyond the arc against them so i know it's a rivalry game i know it's scary to lay the points on the road but i like byu just in this matchup uh, of a team that's a really good outside shooting team against a team in utah that has not defended the three well i also just like how versatile byu is byu seems like every night they have a bunch of guys who are scoring uh you just Pull up! I put up a random box score here from one of their games, uh, their their win over NC State, and in that game, they had five guys in double figures, five guys in double figures, and I feel like every time I watch a BYU game, every time I look at their box scores, that's what it looks like. A one guy to keep an eye out for in that game is Jackson Robinson. He's been really impressive. Uh, He's in his second year at BYU. He transferred from Arkansas a couple years ago, but he's a guy that seems like he's taken a major step up uh, in his second year in the program. So he's a guy to watch out for in in that game and and somebody to, to keep an eye out for the rest of the year. So those are my two college basketball bets on Saturday. UCLA Villanova under 128 and a half and then BYU laying the four and a half at Utah in a rivalry game. That's our show for today. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.